On today's show, photographer and author Karen Walrand talks words, including what word drops the mic harder than any other when you're sitting on an NPR panel discussion. Last minute, NPR asked me to be on 1A, which is great. Were you on yesterday? Yeah. Talking about Harvey? Yes. I stepped out of my car. Well, it's probably best you didn't hear it because I mentioned my underwear. Well, okay, you know what? It's not my fault. The man asked, he goes, what is one thing you wish you would have remembered when you were evacuating that you won't forget? Underwear. You're mocking my lights. No, don't you, I, don't you, no I love fairy don't lights. Don't you I love them. mock my lights? Why are you mocking my lights? <laughs> I can assure you, Jessica is you not know, mocking. You know, just I'll, I'll be the one who would mock lights, yeah. then be asked to string them up. Let me tell you something, Boo. You can mock my lights all you want, but we're in your studio and you have candles burning right <laughs> yes, now. I know. So let people, yes. let everybody know. Exactly. I didn't exactly. even know that. I didn't even know that. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. I'm Jessica Cole. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers, for writers. I first heard about Karen Walrind from my wonderful parents who heard and saw her on PBS NewsHour a few months ago. After the segment, they called me up and said, you have to interview this amazing woman on your podcast. She lives in Houston. As usual, PBS saves the day, widening the world for us from the cocoon of our own homes. Also yet another reminder that voracious curiosity and endless capacity for wonder, the inherent impulse to connect with others is at the center of all good things. Many of which are generously and well beautifully displayed in Karen's book, The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit. The portraits shot by Karen and told in vignettes contain both instances of sunlight translucenting a dragonfly's wings and frosting a river in the dark shadows in all of us that need to be appeased and acknowledged in order not to eclipse our and the world's light. I had the book open at the co-working space I work out of in Boston and so many people came over to ooh and ah over it. It really is that kind of book, the stunning design of something to elevate your coffee table, not literally, combined with the vibes of a book read by flashlight under the covers. One of the owners of the co-working space told me reading it compelled her to dip back into her own recipes plus vignettes manuscript inspired by her Dominican childhood. She also said, oh boy, Kingwood, Texas, an interesting place for a girl of color to grow up. If you're looking for wit, introspection, and the acoustic version of AHA's take on me, you'll want to head over to Karen's blog. And if you would like her lovely, joy-filled voice interviewing other fascinating people filling your home or car, definitely check out her podcast, The Make Light Show, tagline, positivity, creativity, and kindness make the world go round. Check, check, check. Karen, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. We would love for you to read an excerpt and... I think we talked about starting on page 35 with Helen's story. Sure, I love this story. Helen is a very dear friend. By staying true to what felt authentic to me, I was able to focus on things around which I had passion, and therefore, I was more successful. Do you think people respected you more because of it? Well, I have no idea if people respected me more, she responded without hesitation. The point is, I respect me more. And really, that's what counts for me. Her comment was so simple, yet so profound. For while I certainly feel I have a healthy amount of self-respect, if I'm honest, 
I think I got here more by accident than by design. Imagine what might happen if we all began living our lives by using our respect for ourselves as a constant guiding point. I suspect our lives would change immeasurably for the better. We continued talking, Helen and I, her words providing me constant food for thought. Gradually, our conversation turned to our children, and she surprised me by telling me that she had spoken very little about the kinds of things we were talking about on that hot Texas day with her son, Connor. Why, I asked, somewhat surprised. All of this seems so powerful. Well, I definitely try to teach Connor to understand his own feelings and listen to his own inner voice, but I don't teach him in any formal way. As parents, we can just sow seeds, right? I mulled this over as I finished the last of my now tepid cappuccino. It had never occurred to me that the concept of being an individual could be taught to others in any way but a direct one. With my own daughter, I found myself sometimes going out of my way to make her realize how special her unique characteristics are, how special her spirit is. The idea that that might be a subtler approach to achieve the same objective was novel to me. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that what made Helen's nonconformity so appealing was that she didn't talk about what it was that made her different or why she thought or looked different. She wasn't on a crusade or rebelling or trying to make any particular statement. She simply summoned her inner strength and intuition and therefore conveyed complete comfort on, in herself. I finally spoke. Is there anyone in your life that you look up to or admire or try to be more like? I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I mean, I admire lots of people for lots of different traits, but when it comes down to it, there's no one in my life who I wish I was more like. I used to live my life wishing I was like other people, but then I realized that was just me comparing their outsides to my insides, you know? When I could finally get past what everyone might be thinking about me, I realized that ultimately I could only live my life and I just wanted to live in humility and honesty and be true to myself. And if I did that, in the end, everything is going to be just fine. We have similar backgrounds. Yeah. I didn't mention this on the phone, no. but I grew up, I spent time in Kingwood. I didn't grow up there. I spent maybe four years. I didn't go to Kingwood High School. I went to a smaller school called Quest High School, okay. which was in the Humble District. But I lived there, and I was wondering if we overlapped at all. What? I don't know. You look awful young. I, don't, <laughs> I think I was probably there before you were there. I was there in, I moved there in 1978, and okay. we moved out in 81. 81. So, yeah. We were there, I want to say, in 90. Okay, yeah. So. Um, but I grew up 80 to 90 in Atascacita, just on okay, the yeah. other side of the river. Yeah. God bless there. you. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask about how you're making, you know, Helen talks about making this direct approach with your child. How is your, your daughter's growing up where she is different from the experience that you had? And, and how much of that are you doing um, directly? And how much of it is, like she said, you just sort of, if you do these things, then you hope for the best. And it's going to uh, be fine. That's such a good question because I wrote this a few years ago and my daughter was a lot younger when I wrote this. Um, <laughs> she's 13 now. Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, um, it's so interesting in that in a lot of ways I raised my daughter very much like my parents raised me. And in a lot of ways, I try to do the exact opposite of what my parents <laughs> so do, true. you yes, know, and yes. so it's sort of a balance of that. So in um, where my parents would have been much more, were much more um, impressed upon me conforming, which was 
And I say that without, without judgment because we were immigrants, you know, I, we had just moved from the Caribbean and my father grew up very, very poor. He was the second of nine kids and scholarshiped his way into a PhD in petroleum engineering and ended up doing very well for himself. And so academics were really important to him, mm-hmm. as they are with me, mm-hmm. with my daughter. And he really steered me into an engineering degree. I, I was very good at math, and I was the firstborn. And, you know, I would say things like, I think I want to be an architect. He's like, no, no, you want to be an engineer. Or I think I want to be a linguist. I loved languages. I, I, I studied languages a lot. And he's like, well, that's great that you speak Spanish and French, but no, you're going to be an engineer, right? And so, and I was an engineer and, you know, for a split second until I ended up going to law school. But academics with my daughter is, are very important for me. And I am very strict about academics, but I'm far more likely to let her follow her own path. She, for her, music is her thing. She loves music. She's a guitarist. Her dream is to go to Berkeley's College of Music for college. You know, and of course there's the, the Trini immigrant part of me that's like, I hope you can make a living doing that. Like, I hope you're really good. But then the, the part of me that's, that's, um, that's, that wants her to be who she's going to be says she's going to be fine. And as long as she's following her passions, and really my job is just to sort of encourage that and help um, fan those. So I would say... You know, for me, education is, is still big because I think it provides you options, but, but I'm far more likely to just kind of watch and see who she's becoming and where her interests lie and then sort of providing as much food or fertilizer to let that grow as I can. And then, and then be understanding that it may shift and, and it may change and then, you know, and then I'll shift. So it's a little both, I think. You know, it's funny that you had me read this because I literally have not read that in in a few in a few years and I'm like huh that's a good reminder well, we should have done that <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> it is it's hard to remember that sometimes the most active thing about being a parent is not being active is sitting on your hands yes. yeah. letting your kids yeah, yeah. especially now because like you said she's 13 and yeah. so she's starting to um, she's starting to need more freedom and starting to need more you know of less hand holding and more you know, safety netting, I guess, in some ways. And mm-hmm. sometimes maybe not even having the safety net. Sometimes, you know, letting her... Skin her knees. Yeah. Yeah. If that's what's required. It's really, it's tough. Uh, my friend Helen, uh, who's in this right now, who was it, who I just read, she, her son, Connor, is, I think, graduating high school now, right? So he's actually about to go off. And I spoke with her not too long ago. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because she's really done a great job of sort of stepping back and she's like, this is what he wants to do. And, and I think that's really hard because I think um, even if you're not my dad, who's like, no, this is the only sort of career you should have. It's really hard to go to listen to your kids' dreams and go, oh, that sounds great. You know, when you're sitting there going, but, 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 but what about this? But what about this? One of my questions about how this book came into fruition Mm. is whether the pictures were first or the stories were first. Because one of my favorite chapters is the one on language, which ends up being about music, which I love. I love how those two come together and it's sort of... The answer is I don't know. I have always been a writer and... For half my life now, I've been a photographer. Maybe even a little more than half my life now that I think about it. I've been a photographer. And I find that it's very difficult for me to write without without imagery. And it's sometimes very difficult for me to shoot without a story. Mm-hmm. So, and I know certainly with writing this book, that I have another book coming out and it's, it's very similar format. And 
a little bit to some extent that one as well. I would, if I got stuck writing, I'd grab my camera and I'd go out and shoot and see if that inspired anything and vice versa. So, so it's really hard. That particular story about language, I don't, I, I, what I suspect it was is the person, Irene, who is the, the woman that's the main interview in that, that chapter, she probably was somebody that I thought, oh, I just love how her facility of language and how she can go from fluent English to fluent French to fluent Korean. So she's a French-Korean photographer friend that I have in, that lives in Paris. And, you know, as I thought about her story and thinking about I want to interview her and stuff like that, I probably thought about my own trip to France and how I was speaking with people and how that was really difficult for me because my French is, is poor at best. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we did connect over through the music. And so it was probably, I would think, her... She was actually the person that I really wanted to have in the book, and then other stories kind of came. If if I you know if I remember correctly, that's probably how it did. But mm-hmm. it it comes in all different ways. Sure. So <laughs> since you mentioned your new book, mm-hmm. I feel like we have to, because of course we're so curious. Can we can we segue into that this 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 soon into the podcast? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. Yeah. So um, the second book that's coming out, and it should be coming out um, at the beginning of 2018, is called Make Light, Stories of Bright Sparks, Slow Burns, and Thriving Out Loud. Love the title. Um, and uh, it, that one was, I guess the photography came first. I was, at the time, in my late 40s. I was about 47. And I was actually kind of stuck with what to write on the blog. I, was, I felt like I'd been writing on my website a lot for other people and not really writing anything that was sort of moving me. And I called a friend of mine who is a beautiful storyteller, and she said, you should write the content you wish you saw. What is what you wish out there? And, and I thought that, you know, it was, such, it was such simple advice, but it was brilliant because when I first started writing as a blogger, I was a new mom. And I was, and this was before mommy blogs, right? Like the people weren't really, it wasn't a thing. I had, I was, my daughter was adopted and I was Googling some adoption thing or something. And I came across this weblog and uh-huh. it looked like an online diary. And I thought that's so interesting, especially since my family was in Trinidad, my husband's English, his family's in England. And I thought I could do an online diary and they could keep up with the adoption process. Right. And so that's really why I started. It wasn't for any other reason than that. This would have been in 2004. And were you still working it in the corporate yeah. sector? Yeah, I was still a lawyer. I was still practicing law. And I, uh, and then I continued writing because I was just sort of working out parenting, right? After she was born, I'm like, and, and it, so it wasn't really for teaching or connecting with other people. It was just, I love to write and I have this diary now. And so I'm just going to write about what things are. And so I thought... Given my friend's advice about writing what I wanted to, what I wish I could see, I started thinking, well, parenting, it's not that I have it down, but I kind of know where to go for the answers now, right? After 13 years. So the thing that I was wor- was not worried about, but what I hadn't been seeing was what it was like for women to get older in a way that wasn't depressing. Like, it seemed like everybody was sort of like, you know, it was either these are all the horrible things that are going to happen to you as you get older and you're no longer desirable or whatever, you know, 
crap they tell you. Or it was humor blogs, and I say that with air quotes, where it's like, you know, hot flashes, can we talk about them? You know, and it really was sort of, <laughs> you know, sort of like complaining in the back, you know, disguised uh-huh. as humor. Right, right, and right. And that wasn't my experience. Like, my experience was actually, you know, in my late 40s at that point, that I felt as healthy as I have ever have, that I finally kind of knew who I was. I wasn't that concerned about what people thought of me. What a relief. What a relief, <laughs> right? And yes. it was actually the, and, and, and I had, I had money. Like I, you know, not that I'm wealthy by any, but I know how to handle money now. Like I'm not worried about how to make a mortgage payment or like I've got a rhythm. And so if I want to travel, I go travel. And, and if, if anything, it felt almost like a, a rebirth. Not even a, just an evolution, I think. Probably not rebirth, but an evolution. And, and looking at my friends who were around my age, they seemed the same way. Like, I didn't see this whole sad, like, they were still as hot and sexy and adventurous as they had been in their 30s and their 20s, except now they had their heads on. Like, it was actually even better, right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to start a photography project where I ask women over 40, what does it mean to thrive? Because... It felt to me like, like we were, and I didn't know what I was going to get. I thought, well, you know, they're probably all going to be say the same thing. And I didn't know what that thing was going to be, but I figured it's all going to be like, oh, it's pure happiness. And it's, you know, being, having money or whatever. Like, I expected. Exactly. Well, ex- well, and that's what I discovered. Right. And so I'm asking all of these women, these questions, and I was shooting with a Hasselblad camera, which is a 40 which is a medium format camera and it's film. So it was a film camera because I thought film is really timeless and I love. So I would photograph them and ask these questions. And I, to a person, I got um, a different question. I got different questions from each person, but it had nothing to do with financial security. It had nothing to do with, you know, meditating 30 minutes every single day <laughs> and reading, reaching a plane of enlightenment. Like it was, it was a lot more about how they move through life. And and that's how, what turned into the book, Make Light, because that's what these women did. They made light. They looked for light. They made light around themselves. They, And some of them did it, yes, yeah, some of them it was definitely career. Some of them it was education. Some of it was spirituality. Um, some of it it was how they took care of their bodies. What was surprising in the book, however, is I picked, much like I picked featured people in this book, in, in The Beauty of Different, I picked featured people. I was like, okay, this person really seems to have their career together. So I'm going to interview them. And this person is a marathoner. And so, but she's not like obsessive about it, right? Like she's a, she's a runner who seems to love the run as opposed to, I've got to, you know, be be, my personal best. Right. And be like, you know, 5% body fat or whatever. Right. Like she wasn't (laughs) obsessive. And so I picked her and then a friend of mine who's a, a massage therapist and a yoga instructor. So I wanted to talk about spirit. So mind, body, spirit. And what was really interesting is in interviewing each of them for that specific thing, they would talk about the other thing. So, for example, my marathoner, the person who runs a marathon, she suddenly started talking about this meditation she does while she runs. And I was like, whoa. You're not supposed to talk about that. Right. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And, you know, and I, 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 it was so funny because she would talk about how she would like give light to her feet and then work up her body. And she would do this meditation thing. And. I said, well, okay, wait, stop. We got to talk about this. I'm like, are you a religious person? She goes, no, not at all. I said, do you meditate other than this? And she said, no. I said, did you grow up religious or with a spiritual practice? She goes, no, I don't. Oh my God. And I don't, I don't go to church and I don't know. I don't do any of that, but it's what I do. And it was so interesting how each of them 
did that. The the woman who, uh, the spiritual person who gives back, she started doing it. Her thing was about how you give of yourself. And she started doing it because she ran a marathon when she was 50. And so like, it was so funny. Like every single person, a story came up and they were mm-hmm. like, whoa, they, my my business person was like, yeah, the way that I take care of myself and my business is I go box. I'm a boxer. And, you know, and, and I have to get out of my head and do something really physical in order to get back into my head and clear it. And so it was really sort of lovely how each person kind of talked about that. So I'm really excited about this book because that I find myself using the lessons probably better than I used poor Helen's lesson here <laughs> um, in my daily life now. <laughs> I'm so glad to know that's going to be out into the world because... I, I, I feel the same. There's this sort of recent article called The New Midlife Crisis, Why hmm. and How It's Hitting Gen X Women. I don't know if you've read it. I haven't. And it's all, it's it's so depressing. And it's it's all about all of these women saying how how horrible they feel and how horrible, it's, I mean, it, it it's very moving. You know, I, I, I feel very compassionate towards yeah. these people and, and being vulnerable. But a friend of mine who's, uh, in her early 30s, I think she's 32, sent it to me and said, do you feel this way? Do you know, are you and it's probably good to be having discussions like it and not, and sure. I, I certainly don't want people to be suffering silently, but it's very heartwarming and feels necessary to have another, another counterpoint. Yeah. So we've got the humor that doesn't really work or the <laughs> You know, and then and then this. Oh my gosh, everything's horrible, and you know, everything goes to pot. You know, yeah, it's and not I, at all the experience that I'm having or any of my friends. Are any, having. Yeah, and, and so my goal actually was in writing the book was like I will tell you my my goal for writing the beauty of different like the image I had in my mind was that somebody would take the book with them on a plane, which I don't really know why they would do that because it's kind of a heavy <laughs> book, but they would take it on a plane and like for a like a three and a half hour flight and they would crack the binding as the plane was being pulled out of the gate and read it. And then as the plane was touching down in their destination, they will have finished it and all of a sudden go, wow, I am really kind of cool. And you know, like they would have seen something of themselves in there and go, I really need to like hang, you know, to cling to that thing and figure out how I can use that to, um, to change my world, if not the world. And that was sort of the image that would like, that's who I was writing for. It was the person that wanted that. And for the next one, my goal is that person still on the flight. Um, and if she's, if she's over 40, she suddenly comes to a realization that there is so much more left. Um, because if you think about it, like we're going to live, especially with medical, you know, assuming you don't get hit by a bus with medical advances, we're going to live to 90 minimum, mm-hmm. right? So if you have 40, you've got your life again to live and then some, right? So what do you, that's amazing. Like your whole, you don't have to learn how to walk or read or, you know, go to school anymore <laughs> and you have your whole life again. You like, already know how to feed you, yourself. You know how to feed yourself. You can wipe your own Get butt. Shit done. <laughs> right? Like you oh could go more to do that, right? So, so that's so exciting. So if you're over 40, that's what you feel. And if you're under 40, you're going to go, I cannot wait to get to 40. Like, yeah, it's going to get real. That was my great. goal. Yeah. So, so I hope your 32 year old friend, yes, I hope she does read the book. Cause I, I think, I think she will find that it's awesome that things are going to just keep it. And I just turned 50 this year. So, um, oh, and it, so I can thank you. So I can confirm that it keeps getting better. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I do. I agree very much. I think your, your idea about what you wanted the 
book to do worked Good. because it, it was a very active read. I don't know if it was this way for you, Jess, but I found myself realizing just like you said that I had had so many of these similar situations, either similar yes. people to the people that we meet in your book or the actual situation of being abroad, you know, traveling and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. happening upon like for my, for my music situation, music and language situation was happening on an open air chapel where there was this little chamber group playing mm. and there were probably 40 people at this concert and I was with one American friend and there was an Israeli that had been traveling with us and the people we were staying with were Spanish and though we had the hardest time figuring out how to get places together once we arrived <laughs> at this place we all understood the music yeah and if I hadn't read this book, I wouldn't have thought about that. And, you know, I probably haven't thought about that moment in years. Yep. But with yes. so much information and so much washing over us, it washes away sometimes the good stuff, too, yeah. from our past. Or, you know, maybe even if it's not that far behind us, it can still get covered up by the muck of what we live in yeah, yeah. if we're not open to it. And so I, it was an active read for me, good. for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I also think it's a it's a great bathroom read because like you don't have to read it in order, right? Yeah, so you, you can, can just leave it in, in your bathroom or you can just open it up. So <laughs> that's so funny. We used to have one of our speed dating questions. What was the book? A book that oops. on the back of your toilet? On the back of your toilet. Well, the, the beauty of different needs to go. And you can say my own book. You can advertise it. There you go. The beauty of different is the perfect bathroom. <laughs> Jessica will be happy to blurb your next book in case you want something like that. Yes, every every toilet should have this. <laughs> it will dress it up. Your guests will never be bored. We, we could make a waterproof edition. Oh my gosh, you guys! You guys oh, are yo. coming. I will have I will have Karen's book on the back of my toilet. Fantastic. Your guests visit. I'm Thank sure. you. I'm honored. Karen is so honored. I am honored. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I was also really struck. Oh, sorry. Were you? No, go ahead, Jess. Well, the the way that you so yes, I felt the same way as Kate, where I was remembering things that I hadn't in a long time, either from traveling or these sort of brief moments of connecting with other parents on on the playground, some of whom became lifelong friends and some who I never saw again. But I I was also just really struck by how how open you are to to meeting people and how open people are to telling you their stories, putting yourself out there, following leads, connecting. Um, Have you always been this way? I would, I would say this. I, growing up, I, the biggest complaint that people had about me, particularly my parents, was that I was too sensitive. Like you're so sensitive. You get your feelings hurt so often. You're so sensitive. And that would be probably the different that I would, if you'd asked me what my different was, I would have said that would have been my different that I was really embarrassed about as a kid. Was that, you know, the slightest tease, I I would burst into tears. I I, I was really very sensitive and still am to a huge extent. I've learned how to mask it and I probably, you know, picked up a bit of an acerbic and sarcastic sense of humor in order to kind of cover for it. But... The flip side of being that sensitive is that I am, I feel like I'm very empathic and very mm-hmm. um, tuned into people's emotions. And I, I never, ever want to probe into when I'm interviewing people into something that's clearly uncomfortable for them. And it could be just that I read a, 
a flicker in their eyes or just something and I'll back off. Like, because the point for me is never to make anybody really uncomfortable. And, but I'm also sincerely interested in them as well. And when I interview anybody for the book or for the podcast, you know, I usually start by saying, look, this is not going to be a gotcha interview. I'm not here to try to get all up in your business. And frankly, my job is to make you look good because if you look good, I look good. Right. So, um, so I, you know, so don't, you're in a safe space basically. And I think I'm, I think I am very good at that. Uh, You know, and, and there are many times, there are certainly stories that have been, even as the part of of the beauty of different and certainly as part of the second book where people have shared stories with me and I have made the decision that I'm not going to include it in the book because yeah. and and they were fine with it they were like I'm going to tell this story but they might say something like, I'm gonna tell a story and I've actually never said this before so mm-hmm. I'm like well I'm not I don't want to share that story um, there have been some things that one one uh, one person did share a story in this new book and it was it was some of the details were really really funny and i was like i'm not going to put the details in but i'm going to say it this way and she was like okay that's fine because she was like oh my god don't, please don't put those details in and i'm like all right no those details are safe but i'll i'll put it i'll put it in this way because the story itself is funny even without those details and it, it's a really humanizing thing so i think i think i help people feel safe because i am able to kind of sit where they are and go oh i wouldn't want anybody to take advantage of that or or not notice that I cringed a little bit when you asked that question. And and people tend to open up. I would say more often than not, I, I exclude things mm. than include them. And only because I am like, you know what, you, that doesn't serve the story. That's not really the purpose. And I, and I don't want you to go walk away and then go, oh God, I can't believe I, I said that. I can't believe I said that. Yeah. yeah right. So, <laughs> but it, it, I would say that that's probably my different. And that's, I certainly... Um, I think we connect when um, when we share, and I think stories connect. And I think if my superpower is that I can get people to share their stories in a play- way that feels safe, then then that's the superpower that I'm going to use. And 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 it is what I try to use. I, I'm very passionate about that for sure. It comes through. Thank you. Yeah. It comes through for sure. And I and just to return to this idea, I think that you're asking, well, you do quite quite. Uh, Clearly, at the very end, she asks at the end of the book, what is your difference? So mm. she's asking us to look, you're asking us to look at our own yeah. superpowers and engage those. Yeah, even if they made you feel uncomfortable. And for me, like I said, my sensitivity was definitely something that that I felt I was crippled by. And and what ended up happening, I really did become kind of a jackass, right? Like, you know, because I became so sarcastic to kind of cover it. So if somebody like, said something, then I'd be really sarcastic back and like, oh yeah, like you're such a treat or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> and that's not nice, right? Like, that's not pleasant. Um, so, um, so it really was very hard for me to suddenly realize, oh, you know, this thing that people, you know, that, you know, I mean, if somebody's sensitive, you don't tease them about being sensitive. Like that's that's even worse, right? Like, <laughs> and so worse. like I was so bitter so about sensitive. it. Get over <laughs> exactly, right? And so I was so bitter totally about that. Helping me, all of a sudden I don't feel sensitive anymore. <laughs> right? Or at least like I'm like, you know what? It's actually kind of a cool thing. Like right. that's actually that's what's yeah. getting me to. And and it, I, you know, and I probably figured that out way before I wrote the book. I I, I think I figured it out as a lawyer. And I, it was really effective in lawyering because I was, as a lawyer, I negotiated contracts. I wasn't a, I wasn't in trial because that was just way too, 
I was too sensitive for that. <laughs> but, um, but I would negotiate deals and, and what could happen, because I could read, and I read people pretty well, I think. I could read what opposing counsel was doing, and I could say things, like, you know, like if opposing counsel was sort of blustering and like trying, well, I'm such a awesome lawyer and I'm going to get loopholes and I'm not going to give in to this thing. You know, I could look at him and go, look, I, you know, we need, both our clients want us to get to a deal here. What is it that you're afraid my client is going to do mm. if we don't have that clause? Like explain that to me so that I understand it. And a lot of times they would go, well, if we don't have this clause, then your client could da, 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 da. And I'd be like, oh, we would never do that. But I can see where you can see where you might think mm. that. So why don't we word it? Because if we don't have that clause, or if we do have the clause, that this is what we're afraid of. So let's word it to make sure that we don't do what you want, are afraid we're going to do, and also protects my Vice client. Versa, yeah. And usually, like by the end of a negotiation, they'd be like, "Well, Karen, now what are you afraid of?" <laughs> you know? Which is such a weird, it's such a weird like way to negotiate a contract. But it was really effective for me. Brilliant. And, it, and I think like, it was, you're learning. <laughs> <laughs> It was really, it was really funny because especially I was in the oil and gas industry. So most of the lawyers across the table from me were men and, uh, and, you know, just to hear like, well, how does that make you feel? Like, <laughs> how does that make you, you know, it's sort of really funny. And I think That's also probably, be asked that question. I, well, and I think it was, I think they probably used it in their, you know, as, as in their quiver when they went forward. I'm like, sure. Because it was, yes. this. it was so easy and it's so, and it's so honest, right? Like, it's not like I'm trying to screw you over and like, right. hey, look, let's just like, I don't want to be here lo- any longer than you do. So let's just get to, let's get to an agreement and we'll figure, and then we can really celebrate. I wanted to ask you about, you know, the many sides of your career. What has, I guess, admitting now that you're a writer, how how has that changed? I I mean, you said you've always written, except that you were always doing other jobs, too. And now you're doing this in photography and and exploring more actively this, you know, artistic side. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) How, you know, how has that changed things from your your former life (laughs) your previous life well you know it was really funny I never would have considered myself a writer back then even though I clearly loved it and I clearly loved doing it but I was a math person right my dad Mm -hmm. was like you're a math person you're not you're not a writer I know and it's funny because my mother is a link like my mother's superpower is is languages like she speaks five languages and she's one of those people that you know she that my dad was in the oil industry as well and they moved around the world a lot and she would literally like she went to Norway and six months later she was speaking fluent Norwegian oh and gosh. they went to Azerbaijan and six months later she's speaking fluent Russian so she's that's her gift right but my dad's you're a math person um, <laughs> but, but what was really funny what actually started me blogging and what started me thinking about writing sort of in a more formal way was when I moved to London as a lawyer I decided this is now again and this is before blogs right so this would have been like uh, well, it was, remember Y2K? Do you remember that? Like, yeah, so yes. it was, it was 1999, yes. 2000. When right? all the computers were going to blow up. Right. And, and yeah. I was a software lawyer. So trust me, I was like freaking out. I'm like, everybody's going to sue us because our, our software is going to like totally freak out. Anyway. <laughs> so I moved to London. Um, so they during... turned to PC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I moved to London and I decided that I was going to keep in touch with my friends by sending them emails periodically about what it was like to move to London. And also I was the lawyer for Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. So I was traveling a lot to 
um, to the Middle East and to uh, to Nigeria and to, so to you're probably Egypt not busy and, at all, yeah, right? Probably. Exactly. <laughs> Plenty of time to write these emails. But I would, and I would write these letters, and I would be like, you know, it'd be blind copying like forty friends or whatever, and like I would tell some story about like what it was like to, you know say something like fanny pack or something that's not innocuous <laughs> here but completely rude in England you know or you know just sort of silly things like that sure, yeah. and um what would end up happening was I ended up getting emails from strangers saying hi you don't know me but I'm friends with your friend so-and-so and they always forward your email to me because they're funny and could I be on your email list oh, right gosh, yeah and so I was like what like how about uh, it yeah so literally when I started blogging I, I mean I started the blog really for my parents and family and the only reason I didn't password protect it was because I you know they're old and I thought let's not have a, le- a another <laughs> level of complication on the internet for them to get to it but I did you know I thought who is going to read my blog Why, like it's dumb like it's just for them but I thought, well, and I told friends because I was like, okay, I'm not going to blog about this and send you emails yeah, yeah. every, and <laughs> right. I, by then I'd moved back from the U.S. And I, and I was like, you know, you know, when people wanted to know about, you know, our adoption process and all that other stuff. And so I would, I would write about it and, and then people started flocking, like, because of course people, other, other families who are adopting will Google and my blog would show up because I was uh-huh. writing about it. And so suddenly I'm getting this audience and that's mm-hmm. like what like why do you care like i'm nobody I, you know and so that was when i kind of got you know i'm like oh i'm a i'm a writer i'm a writer which is still a little weird for me because like like my i have an engineering and a law degree like i'm not mm-hmm. I, did, I don't have creative writing i have never I, I think the last i'm not kidding the last english class i took was high school english because i did <laughs> well enough that i could place out of english in college right, right, right? right. as well, an engineer yeah. so i like I was it. I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's still sort of weird. That, but, but now I see that I'm even. I mean, I I'm good at math, but I am a I'm a writer. I'm a communicator. It's writing and, and photography. It's like I said, I can't do one without the other. But, but yeah, I, I don't. Who would have thought, right? Like, who would have thought I that you know Dr. Walren's math daughter would have ended up. <laughs> writing pretty books like that's just so weird (laughs) (laughs) i know there's a a blog that i really love that started the exact same way around the exact same time that was you know just emailing to friends and then other people forwarding and and, i mean it's still going strong she's i think she's in her mid-40s and yeah it's it's the same do i know her who who is oh it's fantastic it's laney gossip elaine lou She's Canadian. Yeah, she's so, so astute. Oh my gosh. Very, very, like a a reader of culture and the celebrity ecosystem in like a really interesting, profound, brave way. I'll have to look her up. That's awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, please do. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any um, writing rituals? You know... You told me you were going to ask that question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to. Yes, I, I sit with my. I, after meditating for 20 minutes, I get a fountain pen and some parchment and a cup of tea <laughs> and light some candles and then I'm I write. I'm a very sensitive person too. And I can already sense that you're bullshit. No, I, 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 yes. I would love to say that I do. I don't. I, um, I. 
Well, I mean, nothing formal. Nothing formal. I do... I, the tea and actually and the candle are real. I actually do. I, I do. I do love that. <laughs> After all that. After all like, of that, yes. The tea and the, the candle. The tea and the candle. I do do that. <laughs> when I'm really sitting down to write, I do do that. So, you know, it's so... It, I, because uh, I am, I, yeah, I, I would say that I am very, um, because I'm sensitive, like I'm very sensitive to my, where my, what my space is like. So like my husband makes fun of me because I have like string lights up where I write and we, we just lost our house uh, for, from Hurricane Harvey from the floodwaters. And so we've moved into an apartment and the apartment has a little sitting area off of the bedroom which I've turned into my office and the other day I was hanging string lights he's like seriously here and I'm like yes here do you want me to do you, yes I want I need my lights and my tea so I do do that but but I, I don't I'm not like one of those people that has a prompt or like I, I wish I did I will blogging is a huge part of it for me I, I blog a lot and I it, because I know people are waiting for updates I will tend to, to make sure that I have a, some sort of a schedule on that. Photography is another really big one. If I'm stuck about what to write on anything, I grab my camera and I go out and I'll just shoot whatever I see. And it's very meditative for me to shoot. So so I guess... Think about whatever it is I'm shooting or I'll think about how something relates to this. Like, I, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, this is sort of cheesy, but I can't think of anything specific. But like if I'm taking... I love taking pictures of flowers and I'd love taking pictures of a macro flower so if it's a flowers in bud I'll think about like new beginnings or something and maybe there's a new beginning in my life and that might that might spawn an essay for me so I love that but there's not really like I, I don't have a daily like this is what I do I do when I need to sit down now th with the new book that's coming out I would I kind of messed around way too long and I suddenly had a deadline that was really coming and I checked into hotel and I called it my word bunker because I was like, if I'm home, um, even if my family leaves me alone, I'm going to be like, you know what? I could do laundry, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so yeah, I'm like, yeah. so I actually checked into hotel and I had tea because I, I drink a lot of tea. So I brought tea bags and I brought Walker shortbread cookies because I love them. <laughs> and um, and I, I like, I love them so much that I try to only eat them at Christmas time because I would be like the size of a barn oh if I God. just, and so it was Christmas time because I, my book was due like January. And so it was like right after and I checked in for, for a weekend with my Walker's cookies and my tea and my laptop and no and distractions. And no, damn it. <laughs> There were no lights, but, but, but it was high. And so it looked out over the city. city lights. Yeah. So twinkle there were twinkling lights, lights from the city. Yeah. So that helped. Yeah. yeah. And I left all the windows open at night so that I could see them. Nice. Right. So, yeah. So you're mocking my lights. No. Don't you, I don't you, no, I love very don't lights. Don't you love mock them. my lights. <laughs> you might be mocking my lights. <laughs> I can show you Jessica is you not know, my You know, just, I'll, I'll be the one who would mock lights, yeah. then be asked to string them up. Let me tell you something, Boo. You can mock my lights all you want, but we're in your studio and you have candles burning right <laughs> yes, now. I know. So let people, yes. let everybody know. Exactly. I didn't exactly. even know that. I didn't even know that. We have so, the podcast candle. Yeah, so so that, so he is as much into mood as, as everybody else. So let don't it let be him, known. Let it be known that your secret's out now. <laughs> so I think a lot of our listeners would want to be in on the publishing process. 
a lot of people think, okay, I've got this book in me and I'm going to go to Penguin or Doubleday and I'm going to get a book deal. And for me, because I was writing it specifically for a speaking a career like I didn't care I just didn't want to be a self-publisher at the time this was what seven eight years ago I was like I really want to have a, somebody else publish it I didn't mm -hmm. I felt like that would add credibility to it I mm -hmm. that may not be true now but that meant that I didn't care about whether or not it was a huge publisher so my publisher's tiny it's just a local they do regional authors they do Texas authors and so it wasn't and and frankly a lot of authors are required to do their own marketing anyway anyway these days. so right. Don't sit there and think, okay, well, if I don't get accepted by these major publishing houses, then I can't be a writer. Because I think there's so many, like you said, there's so many journeys. And and frankly, I went with the same uh, publisher for my second book because they make a beautiful product. They made me look good, right? Oh, like, it's a gorgeous like book. It's, yeah. it's yes. you know, people are like, oh, it's great. And I'm like, it, it's like, I can't take credit. Like I, I, I did the pretty pictures, but they laid it out like their, their market their their graphic artist was beautiful the fonts are beautiful the quality of the paper is beautiful like they they did a great job and i wouldn't really want anybody else handling my book because they 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 made me feel they made me feel good right to hold it in my hands so sure. so that would be my other advice is don't necessarily think it's got to be one of the big ones right right jessica you want to do the last question before speed dating oh god i'm nervous <laughs> about the speed dating <laughs> it's gonna be great it's gonna be great this may be a challenging question or may not be relevant, but we wanted to ask it anyway. So, you know, our podcast is called Nothing Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And partly that was because when we were trying to come up with the name of the blog, every name we were coming up with seemed to be some sort of quote or reference or something to good old Will. And then, you know, all of the you know people say that, that you know, all of the, there are only three stories and and of course he's written them all so many times so well um, and that we're all just sort of deriving and tinkering from this from from his 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 work onward so if you had to point to one work of shakespeare that most influences your writing or your photography or both what would it be yeah <laughs> I, I i knew this question was coming and i just kept laughing because i was like my work is if it's influenced by Shakespeare he's rolling in his grave right now <laughs> like he's, I mean he was so brilliant right the bard so I can you know I really struggled with this with this question and and I probably shouldn't say this but I haven't read a lot of Shakespeare but what kept coming up for me was I studied for a long time in high school Macbeth and I would say I don't know that it, his writing doesn't influence me but I always sort of felt bad for Lady Macbeth yeah <laughs> i always felt kind of bad for her because like she's always kind of held up as the evil person in that thing and i'm like her husband killed him like <laughs> like her husband was the one right like who killed the dude like so why are we giving her such a hard time and she's the one who went crazy anyway with guilt so so i but what i <laughs> yeah. like i really you know like i'm really i get very you know that if we went into the bible it would also be judas and the other like right. he was doing what he was supposed to do right like <laughs> right so like so for me, I lady, she, I mean, not that she was a pleasant person at all. Like I don't mean to say that she was lovely because she <laughs> you clearly know, wasn't. You have a drink with her. Yeah, no, I, yeah, exactly. Like she's, <laughs> she ain't gonna be my home girl, right, or nothing. But but one of the things that but I love, but I for some reason I always felt like she got a worse rap than she should have had. That Macbeth mm -hmm. was really the bad dude, right? And just because she was like, yeah, go ahead, do it, like, <laughs> like. 
that and I was but I also think that that sort of translates because in in the books that I do like there's a lot of people who are dealing with stuff that people are very eager to kind of dismiss in the world as as horrible um one of the people that's in the Jenny we talk about Jenny Lawson in this right like she deals mm-hmm. with mental illness and it's so easy to kind of say well they're just crazy and kind of dismiss it and make and there's so much more complexity to it than that and i'm always really intrigued by that it's the same thing with the new book make light right like this idea well she's older now so she's not as attractive and like well wait let's take a look at that let's look at that Mm -hmm. and so when you when we when i think about you know how has he influ- he hasn't influenced me because i'm just not that i'm not as good as he is right i write i write compelling books <laughs> well, no but, one is. but i'm I not mean, that no brilliant yes yeah, so i'm not that yeah. brilliant but i will say that I, I i was drawn to that character and i continue to be because i keep feeling like there's more of a story there that we don't know about there's something else there that that caused lady macbeth to say you know macbeth we got to do this and, and there's also a kind of a little bit of, you know, there's a little ride or die in there for, you know, like she's like, she's there for her man, right? Like that just kind of, which is, you know, she kind of was, right? Like she's kind of like, no, I'm, I'm with you, you know, I'm with you on this, let's do it. And there's something. I want to see Karen Walren's like 12th grade paper on this. <laughs> go back and, and oh, I was yeah, a real follower I'm sure it said exact but yeah so I would say that that Macbeth would probably be the, the most influential isn't it but I'm the most drawn to it yeah. because of yeah because specifically because of her character because I think she's she I think I think she was a lot deeper of a yeah, person than, than oh than definitely we I yeah. mean I think she was brilliant and yeah. then she was a woman and she couldn't do very much like in the real world and so yeah, right. she was like a she was strong, right? Like yeah. super strong. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't want to be anywhere near, her, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, respect where <laughs> where respect is due. So <laughs> that's probably not the question you were the answer you were expecting. But no, there you go. Good. <laughs> it's good. That's the point of the podcast. We never get what we expect. Right, it makes it interesting. Okay, we're on to the speed dating. Oh, this God. is all the stuff that's not in your author bio. Oh, God. Okay. It's good. It's not scary. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I did a search and find in your Word docs, what fancy word would I find you use or overuse? Overuse. I overuse awesome. <laughs> Way too much. Overuse. I have to go back and pull that out a lot. Um, but a word I love is syzygy. Syzygy. Isn't that a great that word? What is that yeah. word? Syzygy. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. And I keep looking for a place to put that in. So you won't find it in my word dogs, but but it, it's... it's Forthcoming. A, yes. It's forthcoming Syzygy. in your word dogs. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it means when three bodies are in alignment, like the eclipse that just happened. On the other side, on the flip side, what word do you really dislike to hear misused and or mispronounced? Oh, irregardless. Oh. Yes. Ugh. Annoying one. I hate that. If you weren't a writer slash blogger slash attorney <laughs> slash engineer slash coach slash photographer <laughs> slash wife slash mother, you'd be a. Uh... Is there anything left? <laughs> I know. I mean, it's like, what's, what's not on there? Actually, because you asked this, it's funny because I actually said this the other night to my husband. Um, I'd be a filmmaker. I would mm, totally be I a filmmaker. It. And he was like, 
why don't you do it? And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm tired is why. But <laughs> but I totally would be a filmmaker. That I, is a challenge yeah. if I ever heard one. Yeah. And the, and the, the reason why is we just finished watching binge-watching Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. And we were watching the extras with the with the authors and the writers and the director and the actors and they were just kind of sharing their experience of making the film and I was riveted I'm like that's always my favorite part yeah me too yeah so it was awesome a book that changed your life to kill a mockingbird it's Mm -hmm. the reason I became a lawyer Atticus Mm -hmm. Finch so what what book is on your toilet Not well, in the toilet, but in I the have one. Yes, it's toilet. in my bathroom, and I, this is so this is horrible. But she's a friend, so uh, Brene, I'm really really sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but I have her latest book, Braving the Wilderness, in my bathroom right now. <laughs> I think she. I feel like Brene would be fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, she's a friend. She actually is a friend, and it, you know what, Brene, if you're listening, you're all about authenticity. There it is. <laughs> yeah, I've, right. I've got your book in my bathroom. <laughs> by Brene Brown. For those of you who are not familiar, Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. <laughs> uh, what's your on writing Bible? My on writing Bible. Um, gosh, and I forget the title of it, but it's by, um, Bill Bryson. Um, he writes a book on, it might even be on writing, but it's, he writes a book on it and I'm blanking on the name, but, uh, Bill Bryson is one of my absolute favorite writers of all time. Um, he writes mostly travel, um, mm-hmm. books, uh, but his facility with language is just wonderful. He's very funny and very smart and makes complex things really simple. Um, and he has a book on writing, and I cannot remember it. What's the name of it? It's I about. Know it. I don't know that. He, there's one that's a. There's one that's actually a dictionary. And the reason I actually found him was uh, was somebody gave me his dictionary when I became a U.S. citizen. And then I've read every single one of his books, oh, but fantastic. I forget. Yeah, he's really good. I'm so sorry. I'll give it to you for the show notes, but well, yeah. Um, cause, but I've read all of them, and I'm totally blanking on that one. But the list is long. Yes. So I can't yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't do it fast enough. Yeah. I'll send it. I'll send it to you. I'm hoping I didn't lose it in the in the flood, but yeah. <laughs> um, what's your favorite place to read? The beach, mm. preferably back in the Caribbean. Nice. Yeah, for sure. The writer you'd most like to have dessert with? I'm not a dessert eater, but... Um, uh, Shortbread cookies. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it would have to be Mr. Bryson. I, you know, he was married. He's married to a Brit like me, and uh, I'm sure uh-huh. he I'm sure he can appreciate the magic of the Walker shortbread <laughs> cookie. <laughs> so I think I would have a cup of tea and some shortbread cookies with Mr. Bryson and just listen to him tell me stories. That would be awesome. That would be great. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to be a fly in the wall. <laughs> What's the best piece of writing advice you ever got? Uh, the one that my friend just said, write the content that you wish you could mm. read, for sure. That's, I mean, that's everything. And it probably, if there's a third book to come, will probably c- come from that advice. That definitely is it. Would that we had those people surrounding us all the time no to kidding. remind us. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for being on the show. Such a pleasure. Oh, it was so much fun. You guys are awesome. Okay. Thank you for for uh, 
enduring my ramblings. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh my, my gosh, it's wonderful. So, so was it Bryson's Dictionary for Writers and Editors? That's probably the one. That's yeah, that's Thanks, it. Boo. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, but all of his other books are amazing. He's just, he's brilliant. Yeah, he is. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you by Bloomsday Writing and Publishing. Write to be read. Find out more about partner publishing and cooperative writing at bloomsdaywriting.com. And by our friends at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, recording, graphic design, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. Production assistance and audio editing by Duke Liu. Our social media and marketing maven is Paula Liu. And our chief audio, visual, graphic, and everything else engineer is Fu Liu, who constantly reminds us the perfect is the enemy of the good and who loves us despite the fact that we consistently ignore him at our own peril. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bloomsday Writer. Show us some love, subscribe to our show, and leave a review on iTunes. <laughs>